I'm so excited you're here. Thank you again. Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't wait for this time together because I think it's going to be super fun. Welcome to the Casa de Confidence podcast, a podcast for women about going in the direction of their dreams and the confidence it takes to reach them. I'm your host, Julie DeLuca Collins. I am a dreamer, a traveler, visionary, risk taker. I am a lover of books, activist, philanthropist, and most of all, a supporter of women in their dreams. If you've stumbled into our casa for the first time, welcome. If you've been here before, I'm so glad you're back. Grab your drink of choice, settle in, and make yourself at home. Hi, Julie. Why do you look so happy tonight? I had my cup full of joy, inspiration, and girl talk. Wow, by the looks of it, at 7.30 p.m. at night, your cup was full of something else, too. Yeah, I've been drinking coffee, and it's late. Wow. Yet again, breaking your rules. I'm becoming a coffee person, and it's becoming a habit, I guess. Maybe that's your new normal. You know, I've been taking magnesium to go to sleep, and I usually take magnesium, but I'm, I switched the brands of the magnesium, and it's actually making me sleep quite soundly. Oh, that's great. But then Good again, time. it just could be this new normal, and we'll go back to the old normal soon. <laughs> <laughs> so your cup was filled today and i know you were talking about something else so would this have something to do with our guest today yes our guest today is a fantastic artist performer writer director and just whimsical friend and what's her name her name is valerie hager we were at her wedding and she was at ours <laughs> so as you know, Valerie is a wonderful, colorful personality, and every bit of her is raw and honest and open. The conversation did have some moments in which we talked about very serious stuff. I would recommend anyone that has little ears to definitely use some discretion. We talk about a little bit of her experiences in the past, and perhaps... There are some families that are not discussing this type of thing with their children yet because, again, everybody makes the choice as to what is right for their families. I do believe the conversation is important. What we're talking about is very timely, and it broaches a subject that everyone should really not shy away. You know me. I believe that when you don't talk about something, you become complicit, and I believe that there's nothing wrong with dialogue in open and honest and upfront conversation. I am going to do my best to introduce you because I'm pretty biased. I know you as a dear friend. We were at each other's wedding and you are married to one of the most delightful people that I know and that, uh, you know, I, I just am honored to know both of you. So Valerie, you are a director, a writer, a performer, a woman of and a mission to empower other women. And you are like a fairy and I love you. And, and again, I, I, 
<laughs> so why don't you tell me a little bit about Valerie and why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Okay. Well, you did such a great job. Thank you so much. And really, that is uh, my practice for the last, I would say, decade has been in uh, autobiographical storytelling uh, of my own and then working with other women, helping them to bring their personal, her stories to the page and then to the stage. And that has, um, over time, turned into directing women's pieces outside of working on my own, um, co-sort of writing them with women, and also teaching workshops around personal her story telling and how we can tap into our stories through our bodies. Um, and so it's been like an accumulation of creation, collaboration, and movement in all kinds of different ways. Yeah, that's that's so cool because I think that I definitely have seen and I've known you for approximately that amount of time and I've seen the evolution and I've seen the amazing sort of metamorphosis that you've made in life. And I, I know that there's been challenges overall, but mostly you, you definitely continue to reinvent and continue to find what the next step for you is. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is that you started performing at an early age. And one of the things that you and I have in common is that we are both influenced by our dads. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, sure. That's so sweet. So I did start performing with my father, who is a professional mime. And he's also a solo show artist and director, teacher. Uh, and he started performing, you know, in the late 70s. And his work started with working with developmentally uh, disabled kids and adults. And he found this way to tap into, um, a way to tap into their hearts. And this that's where it all started for him. Mm. And it just evolved over time. And I was five years old when I was first starting to perform with him in these outside arenas. And his name was Kazoo the Mime at the time. And I was Punky the Clown. Punky and, the Clown. Yeah, Punky <laughs> the Clown. And I was like a little mini me of him. Adorable. And I imagine that on some kind of, you know, uh, level, subconscious level, that I was really inspired at this age. You know, watching my dad perform for people and seeing them smile and seeing how people would light up just by him, you know, being his best self. And so I think it really did start at that at that young age. And also because he's a mime and movement artist, I think that that really played a crucial role in um, what I ended up doing for the trajectory of my life. Um, all of it you know, including pre-creating um, solo show work and everything mm -hmm. that influenced that, that, um, you know, was off the beaten track, but definitely I wouldn't have changed a thing. Yeah, I, um, I think that those early influences, right, and seeing someone go after their passion and being who they are have an impact and create that... I, in essence, muscle memory in, in yeah. our hearts. And, and we learn to, we, we learn to pursue that. Now, what would you say to someone, for instance, that didn't have 
that type of lasting and impactful influence in their lives? What, what would be something that you say to someone that maybe didn't have someone like that? I mean, I can only speak from my own experience. And I did have a connection with my dad at a young age, but I didn't have, uh, let's say, um, there was a lot of turmoil that was going on at the same time. So the, uh, and I don't at all put any of this, like I don't blame my parents or just, it sort of just was Mm -hmm. what it was that I was going back and forth and that um, there was a long period of time that I didn't see my dad and that I was living with my mom and my stepdad and my dad um, remarried and had three boys. And there was a lot of those periods of time from like um, seventh grade to, you know, senior, uh, you know, 12th grade or whatever, where it was tumultuous, where I was by myself a lot, where I was a latchkey kid, um, where I didn't really have that, those glimpses of inspiration that I'm talking about when I was five. So it's not like I'm talking from the perspective of, you know, um, a picket fence and all of that kind of stuff, you know, but I would just say that there was a lot of stuff that happened, you know? Um, and I think that looking back, all I can say is if I would, I would have said to myself then was just hold out, like just hold out and just know, like, I know you're going to know, I know you're going to think this sounds cliche, but just know that all of this stuff that you think is your defeat and the things that make you ugly or different are literally going to be the things that are your gold dust. Like everything, you know, that I thought made me, um, you know, unwanted. Now, as I've grown and I've become this more evolved artist, I understand that those dark spots are actually the cracks into the light. Um, So I would just say to somebody, find outside inspiration. If you don't, if you haven't had a glimpse of inspiration from your own immediate situation, find it outside, find it outside of whatever your situation is. Find it through Googling people who may inspire you, find it through nature, find it, you know, through books, find, find it through imagination, find it through moving your body, find it through yourself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I, I know that for me and many women, we have a tendency to want to show or, or portray this perfect pull together person and persona and we are so afraid of the dark side and afraid of the crazy and afraid of the of the things that we feel that don't measure up and I think that what I've learned is and and Brene Brown talks about this right that that shame embracing it is actually what creates more power within you to to become and to step fully into who, who you're meant to be. And I know that in my life I've suffered from shame, right? Shame over maybe being overweight would be one of them. Right. And, and I know that, you know, you identified with, with body issues as well. And we, we tend to not want to 
put that story out there. However, those are the things that when we connect to the the realness of it, helps us actually in the trajectory to becoming more empowered to achieve our dreams. Would you say that, that you can relate to that? Yeah, I can relate to that. And I was also looking over some of my favorite books before this call. And one of the things that, just going on what you're talking about, one of the things that really saved my life in a sense was when uh, I was seeing a somatic therapist and a somatic therapist for anyone that doesn't know is like a, it's a body centered approach to therapy. Mm -hmm. And basically the somatic practitioner uses um, exercise and physical techniques to release trapped trauma or trapped tension. And so for someone like I, I was an exotic dancer for over 10 years among other things, like we could you know, go there later, but this really tapped into a, uh, all of that stuff that I didn't realize that was trapped in my body and those trapped parts in my body had stuff to say and they had, uh, they had been pushed in corners or corked or, you know, shut over. And it was when I started to realize that it was about, it wasn't about how, you know, how, uh, pop psychology used to say, like, just tell the voice to shut up. It, wasn't that's not it for me actually i needed to embrace and listen to those voices that i feel live at the bottom of my womb and i needed to make space to hear the one that you know is raging and you know wants to cut herself or hit a wall or you know the one that is you know wanting to feel sorry and like drink her woes away you know, or the one, right. and these are all like aspects of myself that I realized through this kind of therapy that if I could start to actually close my eyes, shut my eyes and see, shut my eyes and see, and go down into the belly of my womb and listen to those fragmented parts and start to hear what it was that they needed me to tend to then I could slow, slow, start to thread together the whole of the woman that I know I am destined to be. But I can't skip over that part. Right. Well, I, I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. We, we can't skip the process of the pain. And we can't skip the process of feeling the feelings, right? Feeling the sadness, feeling the the whatever inadequacies the pain or the trauma right depending on 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 the person and the circumstances and really embracing all of those the good the bad the ugly the not so sexy are the things that actually help us like you said put together the piece of the puzzle and I think that I see that in my life right and and I've People from the outside may see one picture, but I know that there is so many different puzzle pieces that make up who I am. And I need to, in order to be more fully who I am, I need to be able to say, hey, that puzzle piece that is this ugly thing, I need to embrace that. And I need to bring it to the forefront in order to be who I am and in order to be whole. And, and I, and I love that. Um, so thank you. I think that's, that's, thank you for being so vulnerable in that respect. 
Now, you touched upon um, one of your your a background in, in your life that I think um, you have definitely taken that part of your life, embraced it, and then you also have used it to, and again, I was lucky enough to have seen you perform this and is to this day, and I'm a theater buff, I love theater, and it's probably one of my top five shows. And as far as solo performances, it's probably the number one, Valerie. And because I have seen you just transport, transport me to a new place. So tell me and tell our audience, because obviously they don't know what I'm talking about. So tell us about some of your history and how did you come to be regarded as, hold on, um, having the most celebrated show in three countries and <laughs> four. four, even better. Okay. Sorry. Four countries. So how did you get to write and perform the most celebrated show in four countries? Um, that's amazing that you said the most celebrated. I'm just going to take it. Let's just say take that it. Most <laughs> it is the most celebrated as far as I'm concerned. And I think the audience will know why. Go ahead. Okay, so I, um, uh, let's see, I grew up in San Diego, um, only child, and then ended up having three half-brothers, but before all of that, I struggled a lot, uh, probably started around 14, 13, 14, with body dysmorphia and bulimia, and that just kind of went into cutting, and a lot of self-destructive, self-hating, um, you know, ways of... Dealing with things I didn't know how to deal with and the living environment. It just, you know, it just was, I didn't know how to talk to, um, I didn't know how to talk to the relationship that my mom and I had, which was a big struggle for both of us. And I didn't know how to talk to, um, you know, what was happening with my dad and his new family and not feeling a part of at school and really feeling like, I was on the fringe and I felt fat and ugly and, you know, that I was worthless. I was not doing good in school. Um, I was isolating a lot. I would come home, be by myself. And then I would just kind of fall into all of these self-destructive habits. And I trusted no one. And I really didn't really feel like I had a lot of friends. And so that just evolved. And I discovered meth. And I was like, oh, cool. I can take this drug and it can make me skinny and give me a superpower that I'm craving. And that really doesn't last very long at all. I mean, literally it doesn't last more than a day for me. And then after that, it was like trying to catch up to what that first experience was. And it just kind of goes down into this limitless dark rabbit hole um, of destruction. And it was just spinning in these, circles of, you know, drugs and affliction, addiction from 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And I had some situations in high school where um, I was raped and I was sexually assaulted two more times. And that was a time before me too. We weren't talking about that stuff. We weren't, um, nobody was saying, oh yeah, you know, you, you, you should share your story. They were saying, well, you shouldn't have worn that. You shouldn't have taken that drink. You shouldn't have fallen asleep next to that guy, you know, 
it just, it's your fault. That's it. It's your fault. And so I believed all of that stuff and that just fed into the shame that I already had around my body and my self-worth. And that then spiraled into an addiction where I think God hit a bottom and got clean and sober um, from drugs. And, you know, then I found stripping and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, I can make lots of money. I can sort of, you know, feel like a star. I can perform and I can start to build confidence in myself that I didn't have. And it worked for a while until it didn't, until it didn't. And then everything I had been running from before just caught up with me tenfold. You know, there I was in this, I'll never forget, in this club in LA, flash forward over 10 years later, and I'm dancing for this man. And I, I know, some of me knows that he is completely assaulting me in this moment and no security guard is caring. And then another part of me is completely disassociated and is watching this happen. And the one that it's happening to is not able to speak. And the one that's hovering above is just like being the neutral observer, basically just being like, oh my God. And I realized that those kinds of situations had been happening for a while. And then I would find myself home sober, but not remembering how I got home, even though I hadn't drank or anything. And I realized that actually, um, it, it just was enough. Like it, it wasn't stripping spot. I have nothing. I, I have lots of friends who are strippers and I think that it can be a really empowering job. But for me, I started to go against who I was in that environment and I wasn't tending to my soul or taking care of myself. And so all of the toxicity that was happening around me, I didn't have any protection, protective field or any tools to know how to deal with it. And so I left after, you know, over 10 years. And that's when my deeper path towards healing my soul happened, where since I had always, always already been somewhat of a performer, uh, I start, that's when I moved to, well, I already lived in Los Angeles. That's when I started putting these stories to the page. I had no idea what I was doing. They were horrible at first. I was literally writing about, you know, women that I had met in the clubs and then performing them at open mics. I had no idea how to write a solo show. And it was just through practice and failing over and over again and more practice and finding mentors and, and finally understanding what a story was and how to tell it and why it needs to be universal and what's different between a story and an anecdote and all of these things. I really just started to get into the, you know, the, the guts of it that I started to understand how to tell basically what is now called naked in Alaska, which is an 85 minute one woman show about my experience stripping for over a decade that in the show takes place in Alaska because I also danced in Alaska. And the, I play, you know, like 15 characters and really at its heart, it's a show about a young girl who basically securitously, securitously, you know, finds who she really is, 
um, in, in the darkest of places inside of herself that you could imagine. And um, it's basically been uh, an amazing experience. And then it toured for five years and I closed it on purpose at its height in LA in 2017. And um, since then, I, I, and I just finished, I've been writing a pilot, a TV pilot. On so Naked exciting. Yeah. And I finished that. And by the way, my husband, obviously, <laughs> well, well, he's the director and co-collaborator on that project, as well as the pilot. And um, it's just a beautiful coming of age story that let, holds no, that holds no punches. Yep. I, I have to say the show for me uh, really, again, I, I, I had a very different upbringing from yours, but I connected to the, um, to the insecurity of some of the characters, the vulnerability in some of the characters. And then I connected to the, to the empowerment that some of the characters also were able to through whatever. And again, you have to go through the process to gain that empowerment and, and definitely is, is relatable from so many different perspectives. And I think that we as women tend to make judgments that, Oh, I am different than X, Y, C, right? We, we tend to categorize ourselves or put ourselves in these silos, but overall we're very similar. We're the same. We, we have dreams, aspirations, goals, and securities. And I think that the more that we're open to seeing how somebody else moved forward and continue to uh, become a better version of who they're meant to be and who they, they want to be, it, we, we can learn a lot from each other. I feel um, like you, and I, I also feel like just made me think of when you were talking, how even though I was in those clubs for that time, and this is where, you know, these things were happening. I really feel like no matter what job that I was working, that all that, that all that stuff would have still happened. But I almost think that I almost thank God that I actually was uh, that it did happen in those clubs because it made it all happen faster, and it made it happen, you know, more gritty and tough and faster. So it was like what could have taken twenty years for me to kind of like get on the other side of it only took like a ten and a half, eleven. Because I, no matter what, I still was going into that place at that time with low self-worth, with unresolved shame, with, you know, feeling like I was an ugly duckling with nothing to offer to no one and seeking outside validation at all costs. Right. And that could be happening to a woman in the boardroom. A woman is going in and saying yes or trying to compromise who they are, what they believe in, in the boardroom or in an office or at, at a store where at a retail store where they work, right? Because they have that low self-esteem. They have that self-worth that is not um, high, or they're staying in, a, in an abusive relationship, a marriage, or they're not seeking to do the things that they know because they, they have that intrinsically as well. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like too, what happened when I started telling these stories was at first it was cathartic for myself, but what happened, what really happened was when I started to realize that, it, that what you said a little bit earlier, that there was a thread, that it wasn't just my story. It was like 
her story, his story, her story, her story, his story, that it was all of our stories and that it was not necessarily uh, like, you know, where it was, what happened, but it was the core of what one experiences and feels regardless of, of, of you know, the details. And, and I feel like you don't have to be a performer. You don't have to be, you know, a storyteller. It can simply be, you know, you're sitting, you're with, you're at dinner with your friend and you're having a heart to heart and you're just, you know, wanting to share your soul and remove the mask that this kind of social media frenzied kind of a, a society that we live in, it kind of, it, you know, it, it kind of like bullies, I feel like it can bully people sometimes who are susceptible to that, you know, put on these different masks it's like actually we all want to see everybody with the mask ripped off that's what we want i i agree and i think that um i am hoping that as all of us seem to be on the same boat right now and and i i'm not 100 percent sure when the episode this episode is going to be released but we're going through the covid19 crisis and i think that all of us are sort of suffering and undergoing the same process. I would equate, and I've heard it said by a couple different people, but I, I, I agree with this, that it's sort of a grieving process. We're going through the five stages of grief. And the whole world is really, again, feeling the anger, the, the, the you know, incomprehensible um, sadness for also what, what has been lost. And, and I think that we're, we're going to be a changed people overall. So I, I think that that's, that's something big coming down the pipe. So, but I want to talk about, and I, and I, I want to change the subject from um, this because you said that um, you, well, you, you alluded to having a mentor and I know that there are several, probably several mentors in your life, but tell me who is your biggest mentor right now and, or who inspires you the most and has given you um to the biggest inspiration to be who you are and go after your dreams. Okay. I can't just say one person. To, okay. So. But you, you can say a couple. Okay. So, well, first, I, I mean, first I, I have to say Scott. Like, I really have to say my husband, Scott, um, because I met Scott, you know, like in 2006, seven or something like that, when my life was in a transitional period, when I started to step into this part that I am now, but I was at the beginning of it. And I remember when I moved in with Scott, and it, it, this sounds like what it sounds like, but like before that point, I was still practicing bulimia. I was still sneaking cutting. I was still doing that at like, you know, 34 years old or whatever. And it was, I met him that, or 32, I think. I was when I met him and I moved in with him that I felt this safety to just kind of rest in who I was. And it was like all of that frantic energy just melted away. And it was at that point that I began to unravel slowly, slowly into kind of like settle into who it was that I could kind of like start to see myself becoming. And that has been like my number one collaborator. I've written six solo shows and he's directed and co-written each one of them. So we are collaborators, we're marriage partners, we're best friends, and we have definitely our issues. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, come on. Yes, we all do. Yes, we all do. Okay. But it's like, you know, I think that 
also he is, you know, um, you know, he's in graduate school to become a therapist. I met him and he was studying spiritual psychology. So he has a lot of deep soul that he offers that helps me to kind of, you know, check myself on a daily basis and look at my own reactivity and really, you know, try to be better, you know? So for sure, you know, on a daily basis, it's, it's my husband and on a pre on more of like a professional, you know, level is a mentor that I have Susan Hyman Hoffman, who's been my mentor for the last two years um, of really starting to figure out how to take, make it in Alaska and make it into a TV pilot. And she has been my believing mirror, like from the get go. I and love that phrase. Yeah, I got that phrase, by the way, from Matt Hoverman, who was my first one, one person show teacher, who was also a huge mentor and the reason that I actually committed to Naked in Alaska, the play, because I reached out to him in New York in like 2012, 2013, something like that. And he was like rallying behind me and he had this phrase, believing near. And I was just like, oh my God. And he was definitely a big believing near for me. I love that. I think that if we could create a society or a group of people who walked around being believing mirrors for others, we could really continue to impact so many people and continue to change lives. And I think that sometimes we're so afraid of our own vulnerability that we're afraid of being that for somebody else. But I love that phrase. I'm, I'm going to have, I wrote it down because I want to be able to remember that. I love that phrase. And I feel like, and, and of course, you know, you know, my dad and my mom, there's, you know, family, but in just keeping it real to these, to these few, um, it's like, I feel like the thing that they've offered each of them in their own different ways is none of them are, are just strictly cheerleaders. They, they literally put me to the test to grow. They, they have taught me that, you know, everything requires another edit, another draft. And I'm not even just talking about writing down writing and storytelling. I mean, when, when I think about having a tough talk with a person, you know what I mean? It's like, well, okay, I've learned from these people through actually the craft of storytelling. You don't just blurt out what you say first, first go. Think about it. Digest it. Write the email. Don't send it. Rewrite it. Write it again. Put pen to paper. Meditate on it. Go for a jog. Sleep. Wake up. How do you feel now? You know, and, and Scott taught me that, which is I'm so reactive and I have to I'm totally quick to anger. And he's just kind of taught me, like, open up your head, pour ice water down the top of it, and just breathe before you, you know, take your fist out and punch someone. Not literally, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I think that um, I, I am also married to someone who is not as quick to anger as I could be. And he, he definitely has taught me a lot of tempering my reactions. And, and certainly one of the things that I am learning, and, and like you said, right, there's a process. If we 
whatever the circumstance is affects us. And all of a sudden we think such and such person did that, or this is this, then our feelings are definitely going to ignite and having passion inside us, we will react based on that feeling and being able to step back, rethink and be in a clearer set of mind and maybe thinking and one of the, and, and I know that you, this book is something that, that I've, I've heard you reference before the before agreements, right? You, you, you've got to believe that everybody is trying their best. And sometimes we make a lot of adjust, we make a lot of calls or we make a lot of judgments on people and react to that based on, on how we think we're being wronged or, or whatnot, but believing that everybody is trying their best and then coming back and shifting our, our brain and then reacting based on a clearer mind tends to be a good way to move. I love that. And I went to this women's retreat not too long ago, well, before COVID-19. Um, like literally I came back and then we were in COVID-19. I never got sick. Thank the Lord. But, thank um, <laughs> um, but they were, you know, the whole thing was about honoring Marion Woodman, who is basically kind of like a female version of Carl Jung. Yep. And all about, you know, the feminine, the dark feminine, all of that. And one of the things that they were really talking about at the workshop was how to practice being really awake. Now, it's like, it sounds so simple, you know, body conscious. It sounds so simple, but actually it's, it's not, it's not, it requires work for me to actually say, who's here. If I'm walking down the street and some person, you know, doesn't behave the way that I want them to, or they don't say hi back or whatever it is. So, you know, one of those things. And I am not awake to who is running the show inside of me. I'll some kind of response that's shitty back to them. Right. But if I actually just have the, the space in between stimulus and response and basically take a moment, breathe, and then ask myself, who is here inside of me and, and really see from the outside what's happening, then it's starting to become conscious. I'm starting to become like an observer of what I'm doing instead of inside of something blinded that's just right. going on without me at all being in charge. Yep. I, I, I love you. You made reference to the, the observer, right? The conscious observer. And, and I think that in so many ways we are, we're so programmed to be an autopilot in, in our life, whether we, we, we see it or not, we, have tons of habits that impact how we go about our day and really bringing some intentionality and observing a lot of what we do and taking that moment does have an impact on how things may turn out during a conversation, during an interaction and how we are showing up for ourselves and for other people. So I think that that's, that's very important for sure. Um, are you confident? I feel like I am. I am. I mean, I have my weak spots and I have days, you know, as everyone does, but I've done a lot of work, you know, and I, 
it was a long road to here. You know, as I say at the end of Naked in Alaska, I think I say something like, you can't row yourself out of Neverland. I mean, you can't, you can't fly yourself, sorry, you can't fly yourself out of Neverland. You have to row your ass back and it is a long row. You know, it, it's a, it's a never ending row. I still have plenty of flaws that I want to tend to and make more whole. But, you know, from, from all these years of, you know, therapy, some, you know, somatic therapy, practicing my own spirituality, inconsistent or not, I still practice it. And finding mentors, reading books. Um, some of the ones that I love is, I'm, I know you know, Women Who Run With The Wolves, um, which is a great one. I also love The Care of the Soul by Thomas More. It's a really great one. And Marian Woodman's books are really empower, are powerful. And I feel like moving my body, finding my own inner athlete, and getting as healthy as I can from the inside out has made me the kind of woman that as a kid I always wished I would become. It is not from the outside in, though. It never can ever, ever. On my best days at the strip club, when I look like, you know, my version of J-Lo, inside, I could be rotten at the core, you know? So it's always inside out for me. That's the biggest lesson. Yeah, I think that in in many ways through through my journey as well i think that the the places where i've struggled the most is when really the stuff inside is is sort of like that that thing at the back of the refrigerator that's been in there for a long time and we're afraid to look cuz we know it's not going to be good but we don't have time to really clean it up and we're pretending it's not back there i i think that those hard places but it's not until, and there's satisfaction in knowing that you actually did the work, right? And you cleaned up and you actually looked in and you did the work from the inside out. And uh, it, it, it becomes empowering for sure. I think it does. And another thing I learned from one of my mentors, who's my, my somatic practitioner, is that tending to the small things. So it's like, it's not just, you know, these big, you know, gigantic events. It's like, the tiniest things. It's the like little voice inside of my head that tries to yank me over to the dark side. And the small things of actually being awake to when that comes in there and instead of letting it run run wild, just tending to that to that moment and actually checking in, tending to the small things of how I wash myself in the shower, you know, how I lotion on my body if it's itchy you know what I mean the tiniest of things you know do, do I take the trash out or do I let it sit for days or whatever you know what I mean and I feel like the tiniest of things can become the largest of things and that's an ongoing process for me that I you know that I, I at some days and I don't do so good at other days and, and and again, I think that that's part of the process. And I think that um, we we like I I realized there were a couple days, um, and and I I think <clears throat> sorry, let me back up. The, we've talked a little bit about this offline. Um, I am you know was laid off through the crisis, and 
I immediately went into, okay, what's next? And started to, as normally, like, what is my direction and what are my dreams and, and, or what do I need to do? Right. And the last time I had undergone, I guess, a crisis of sorts and that I immediately went into autopilot was when I, um, what, when I got divorced and you, you and Scott were there, right. You saw me go through that transition and it was, I did not allow myself right away to go through the feels of the, um, the grieving the relationship, changing what, what did that mean? Right. And immediately went into action and, Fast forward to this situation, I saw myself doing the same thing. And for, I would say a good, maybe two weeks, I was in movement. And I realized that in that movement, I was starting to uh, neglect some of the little things, right? Like my hands were so dry because I was washing them. I've been washing them a lot, but my hands were dry. And that action of, um, of just taking care of the little things. And then I went into this, um, I, I had a day, I had a day, like I decided it was my day of grief and I let myself feel the feels. I let myself, I didn't get dressed. I stayed in my pajamas. I sat in front of the television and, and just grieved. And then I said, okay, it's enough. Let's move on. And we, we have to be able to, um, do do the little things because if we don't pay attention to the little things, it's easier to all of a sudden they they snowball into the large things. I I totally agree. I mean, I, I I feel like that plays out in my relationships and in my marriage, and and that stuff is hard work. The time things sometimes take the most amount of work when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to vulnerability, when it comes. To, you know, accepting responsibility. And I'm talking for the tiniest of things. You know, it, it's easy to run over that and to just be like, you know, okay, you know, let's move on, move on. But it ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it, it makes it or breaks it, you know. I quote too that I, uh, it's like, what work with what is rather than what you wish was there. And that's from care of the soul but it's like work with what is rather than what you wish is there and for me that's been a huge thing that seems so simple but it took me I'm 45 in June, on June 29th it took me until in my 40s to, until probably really two years ago to really understand and that's when I decided to stop performing naked in Alaska and to go into another kind of medium that I I had understood but there was this whole grieving process around letting go of performing this story and I didn't even understand how deep all of that went because for me the people in the story were impacted my life in ways that I can't I don't have time to get into so it was like I felt like I was leaving them I was leaving you know a part of my life that I didn't want to let go that I had been carrying around all of the stuff my identity blah 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 and it was like when I started to really work with what was, like you said, the grief, that's what's there. What's not there is people applauding and receiving awards and having this continue over and over just like it always did. What was there was mess and grief and anger and confusion and what the fuck do I do now and all of these others, you know what I mean? And diving into what was there, I started to go 
deeper, deeper down into my own womb and uncover all of the things that were still, uh, you know, scarred and cut that I thought were healed. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I, I think that I working with what's there leads me to think that many women and and I, I know I, I know many women who, for instance, are not satisfied with who they are and they you and I are writers. Many times I need to just get it out of my brain. I will write. But women sometimes are intimidated, right? Oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to write about. Or I don't know how to journal. Or it's I'm afraid to uncover what's going to come out when I write. What would you say to someone like that? Listen, I completely empathize with that because sometimes I don't want to write either. And there are days that go by that I just chuck my journal against the wall, like figuratively, not literally, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't want to write. So what I'll do is I'll go for a walk. I'll move my body. I will, you know, like that's literally what I do. And that for me has been more powerful. Sometimes that for me is more powerful than putting pen to paper, you know, actually just moving my body. And if I'm, you know, if it's a person who, who doesn't do hit workouts or like, you know, crazy, you know, you know, boot camp, literally getting up and shaking my arms out, shaking my legs, like just moving all, all moving my body, throwing my head around, letting out sound, you know, stomping my feet, you know, yelling into a pillow. It's like, basically the point of it is, is how do you penetrate through the steel wall that's in front of you and who you truly are, you know? So if you don't feel like writing, maybe, maybe there's a part in you that's like, let me, let me punch a pillow. Let me scream into it. You know, let me run in place for 30 seconds. Go crazy. You know, one of the best gifts I've gotten from Dan, and he's a good gift giver, is I, I got the Apple HomePod. Yeah. And every once in a while when I'm thinking or feeling just really stressed or, and I'll just say, and I'm not going to say her name, but Siri, I'll say, hey, play me whatever. And I'll just, and I have a playlist called serotonin because it reminds me that I need a little serotonin to, and moving my body, even if it's for the two, two minutes or three that a song plays makes, makes a big difference. And it helps me. I think also going for a walk as well. Like you said, I miss that about New York City. I know that some of my best thoughts happen while walking in Central Park or by by the the Hudson when I lived in Brooklyn as well because it was just a time in which you you are alone with your thoughts and and sometimes we want to run away we want to listen to a podcast and I'm hoping that people listen to this podcast and <laughs> but I I definitely encourage everyone to also take the time to to not only move your body, but to really spend time with yourselves and your, and your thoughts. Yeah. Because I feel like it's just like, there's different, there's different uh, ways that people learn, right? There's all, there's different, nobody learns. Right. Not every person learns the same way. Not everybody is a visual learner, right? There's, but there's different ways of, of cracking 
the, the steel wall within. And sometimes that's writing, sometimes that's drawing, sometimes mm-hmm. that's craft making, sometimes that's moving your body. And sometimes well, the one thing that I realized is sometimes it's just freaking messy. Like right. it doesn't need to be, I'm not talking about writing, like writing in the lines. You can write in circles. You can write big marker. Like I don't care, whatever, you know, you can move like crazy, turn on funky beats. It's like all this is about is coming alive, you know, and it doesn't have a right way or wrong way. And it doesn't ever look like nice coming alive looks wild. You know, I think that's what everyone wants. I, I agree. And when you're when I'm hearing you speak, one of the things that I, I I've, I've read about you um, is that your show was fearless, candid and personal. But I think that aside from that being a description of your show, it really is a description of you and, and a description of everything that you're talking about that you go through and you do in order to feel alive and for many women, I, I, I'm hoping that we continue to create an environment through our actions, through our time together, that they can feel that they're going after their dreams uh, and whatever it might be, even if they don't think that. And again, every dream is worth having, I believe. And I think that many women believe that, oh, I'm, I, I don't want to dream of writing a, a, an award winning show. And it could be something small, but what is your advice for them? I mean, I guess advice are things that have been said to me by my mentors, which one of them, one of my sort of inner, you know, gremlins or saboteurs is it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late because I started late on almost everything. You know, I didn't get married till I was 36 and I didn't really start creating my own work um, until I was in my mid thirties, you know, before then I was, you know, hustling as an actor and trying to get everybody else's, you know, speak for everybody else's words. So I think that one of the things I would say is it's never too late to be what you might've been, which is a quote that I love. And I think that, you know what, it's never too late. It doesn't mean that it's going to look like it would have looked like if you would have started when you think you should have started. Like I told my family the other day, you know, had things gone differently in my younger years, I wish I would have been an Olympian athlete, you know, actually more than anything. But it's never too late to be what I might have been applies to that because I can still be the best athlete that I can be at 44 years old. I can still inspire 44-year-old women to get up off their booties. 50-year-old women to get off their booties, girlfriend. That's right. Okay. (laughs) So it's like I may not ever be in the Olympics, but I can be my own Olympian within my community, within myself. So it's like it's never too late to be what I might have been. Only applies if I don't try. Only applies if I shut, if I close my arms and turn my back against my own heart, you know, and my brother, I have it up on my wall right here. One of my brothers gave me this, um, 
wood plaque, and, and you probably heard of it. It says, turn your demons into art, into art, your shadow into your friend, your tears into fuel, your mistakes into teachers, and your weaknesses into reasons to keep fighting. Don't waste your pain. Recycle your heart. And <laughs> you're going to make me cry. That's it's beautiful. And I, I love it. I love it. And I feel like that is basically in a nutshell, how, why I'm still here. You know, mm. I, I never uh, finished college. I'm 44 years old. I'm going back to community college to finish my BA. So what? So what? So what? Yeah. I tell women and I tell, you know, in the business world, I, I and, and even now in the mentoring programs and the things that I do, I, I say, you know, life is happening anyway. That's right. So you, you, you have a choice. You can choose to say it's too late, like, like you're saying, and give up, or you can decide why not, Right. Time is going to go. Time is going to happen anyway. What are you going to do in 10 years? You're going to look back and say, oh, then it's too late, right? Exactly. That's the whole thing. And it took me a long time to get that, that I was like, oh, I'm saying this is too late, so so forget about it. But in two years, it's still going to be there haunting me like this little grim reaper. And I'm going to say it's too, I could have already done what, you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. And I think that that is a valuable lesson for all of us, no matter what. And and I, it's one of the reasons I started this podcast, right? Like I've been thinking of doing a podcast forever and I think, oh, it's too late. Everybody's in the bandwagon, but it, it's, it's my time and my, I want to give back and I want to be able to have a message for women that maybe not, not everyone gets to hear. I also and... want to say, what you're talking to is really crucial because that's also, let's just backtrack around like creating something. Uh, it does not happen overnight. It is small steps. It is starting and failing and starting again, editing, re-editing. It is figuring it out inside the trenches. And it takes a year, two years, three years, four years, however many years. It does not all of a sudden we get an idea and we have a, a, a well-known podcast. All of a sudden we get an idea and we have a, a, a you know, a, a award-winning touring show. That's not how it happens. There is incredible amount of work and devotion and believing mirrors that we need to find outside right. of ourselves. Believing mirrors for sure. That's right. Because that's, I think what can get in the way is like, oh, well, I thought this was going to, you know, be a result faster. Or why isn't anything happening yet? I've put so much work in already. And actually, for me, I learned that the biggest thing is F the result, F it. You just take it off the table. Because at the end of the day, like a, if this TV pilot, at the end of the day, if nothing happens with it, here's my biggest thing I learned from Roy Slavin, Scott's dad, who I know you loved very, very much. He says, his biggest thing, do what you say you're going to do. Do what you say you're going to do. And what I add on to that is, and follow it through. Do what you say you're going to do and follow it through. The result is out of our control. Right. The process is the teacher. 
That's it's right. not it's not the destination that teaches you when uh and i think you know you're aware my in my pilgrimage to spain doing the camino de santiago one of the biggest things that i've learned is that I, I, I've yet to make the pilgrimage come to fruition, right, to end. I, I've walked hundreds of miles, but the lessons are not in arriving in my destination. The lessons have been in the roads, the trails, the people, the experiences, um, the choices I made. Uh, maybe having a little too many glasses of wine one night and how do that affects your body the next day when you're trying to walk for miles, right? Like, oh, maybe that was not a good idea. Um, or the choices you make and how much the first year I went, I decided to pack a lot of makeup. Well, not I, a good idea. So so certainly the, the, it's the road and, and, and I, I love that. And I think that most, so many people in in our society, again, in, in, in the social media frenzy, we look at we look at someone's Instagram photo or we look at how nice, you know, something looks from the outside, but we didn't look at the effort behind it. And we didn't look at at the nights that we toiled over something we we really have this comparison despair uh, but it really is about the process and the process is what we should focus on for sure and I heard, I heard this quote that I love that was like her success is not my failure mm. I love that and that yeah. that was something that took me a, a half my whole life to kind of really step into and one, one of the things I've been co contemplating on lately is how fast time has gotten to where it is now. And if that's how fast time has gotten to where it is now, then then how fast it's gonna be if I make it another 45 years, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really trying to sit inside of the core of what do I want my life to stand for? Right. What do I wanna stand for? Not what do I wanna do, Mm -hmm. How do I want to be in the world? Because that will inform whatever it is that I'm going to do. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's messy. Yeah. And, 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 and it's got to be. And we have to be okay with the mess. That's right. Yeah. I, I, Robin Roberts, um, who, who she, she was diagnosed with, with myelodysplastic anemia, like my dad. And that's what my dad passed away from. But, um, I listened to her say, you know, make your your mess your message. And I I think that all the successful dreamers and the people that I know that have um, achieved some of their dreams and, and achieved something for themselves are are making their mess their message. And I I know that you continue to touch lives and as, as a director I I also I was very sad that your solo fire workshop was not here because I really would have liked to have taken that uh, <laughs> just putting it out there so when you're getting ready to go on the road and yeah. take the workshop to different communities you will have an audience outside oh, of LA. Yes. <laughs> So now I, I do want to close with one thing. There is a really fun fact about you that you and I have in common. Amazing. So 
Well, we have several things in common, but this is a really fun thing that not a lot of people have in common. You and I both wore red shoes to our wedding. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yes. And and it occurred to me the other day and I was like, oh, we both wore red shoes to our wedding. (laughs) That's a great thing to have in common, actually. That is a great thing to have in common with someone. Uh, I appreciate you so much. You are in on fire alive so vibrant and i i thank you for being here and for being so open and vulnerable and inspiring for sure as always i adore you and i actually have this one passage very short okay that i would love to close with yes and um, I guess I would also just like to say for anybody who, even the one person who, who listens to this, that I would just want you to know, um, just don't give up whatever is in front of you. Just know that even if it's underneath, around the corner, through a tunnel you don't see yet, using a ladder, whatever, you getting finding wings on the ground and putting them on your back, there's a way to get around whatever feels insurmountable. Just don't give up. I just want to say that. And this was a great, um, uh, in Women Who Run With Wolves book, it says, go back and stand under that one red flower and walk straight ahead for that last hard mile. Go up and knock on the old weathered door, climb up to the cave, crawl through the window of a dream, sift the desert and see what you find. It is the only work we have to do. You wish psychoanalytic advice, go gather bones. I love that. I love that. I think that that is the perfect way to close this episode. So thank you, my darling. You are, you're spread your joy in my heart today. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Great conversation. And one takeaway is I totally forgot that you both wore red shoes to your wedding. I know. I had totally forgotten as well. But I love it that we have that in common among many other things. But Valerie's entire dress was red. True. Her entire dress was red. And mine was not. But I did wear a black belt with my wedding dress. It was out of the ordinary because we're both originals. And now I'm stuck in a conversation about wardrobe. Dan, you're married to me. You should be used to it by now. Yep. Never thought I'd know the shoes with red soles are Louboutins, but I know that now and I can't unknow it. You can unknow a lot of things you learned through me. Just think about how much I've enriched your life. There's just too many ways to even count. Listen, it's a good thing that this podcast is for women. Otherwise, your friends would ask you to give your man card back. (laughs) (laughs) So the one concept that Valerie was talking about was the, the believing mirror. That's kind of a neat concept. That's kind of, you know, it's having that friend you can go to. Yes. Kind of like the concept of... The lemons? Yes, the lemons. Those are the people. But it's 
friends that will talk to you, friends that will that you can have radical candor with. Absolutely. They can tell you how you're messing up. Or how you're shining. Or how you're shining. That's what a mirror does. It tells you the truth. That's why you keep me around. Yeah, because you're so darn positive. Not all the time. (laughs) I'm positive I'm hungry now. I'm hungry also. So put put your coffee away. It's done. And let's go grab some grub. Okay. So, Dan, let's go confidently to get some dinner. All right. Remember, guys. Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. Thanks for joining us this week on the Casa de Confidence podcast with Julie DeLuca Collins. Remember to check her out on Instagram and Facebook and always click subscribe to catch every new episode. Remember, leave a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. And as always, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. everybody. I know that sometimes we get very lonely in this entrepreneur journey, and I want to invite you to join us into our limited time only Purposeful You Mastermind. For many of us entrepreneurs, we believe that we can do it all, but the reality is that doing it alone only creates a lot of overwhelm. So join us at the Purposeful You Mastermind. You can find out more information by going to bit.ly forward slash Julie's Mastermind. This is going to be the place where you are able to then unlock your full potential and achieve long-term success for your business, push you behind your current limits, expand your connections discover new ideas, and implement them with confidence. You're going to get the support in all aspects and transforming you to the six-figure business you've been looking for. Pause and get off the hamster wheel if you've been spinning around. This is a time where you can get that support from like-minded entrepreneurs that are here to join you in your journey. Together, we can challenge the assumptions and land the speaking engagements and opportunities we want to grow our business and make an impact in the lives of people. See you then. Remember, you can find the mastermind at bit.ly, Julie's Mastermind.